بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما الحمد لله tonight is the 16th of August in the year 2023 and alhamdulillah we spent a few sessions taking a glimpse into the divine majesty and mercy so in continuation consider the accursed fir'aun it is mentioned in the glorious quran that after the fir'aun and his unholy forces drowned allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in surah al-dukhan surah 44 verse 29 audhu billahi minash shaitan rajim fama baqat alayhim as-samaa'u wal-ardu wa ma kanu munzadin and neither the heaven nor the earth shed a tear over them nor were they given a respite so Pharaoh drowns his forces drown and look what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says neither the heaven nor the earth shed a tear over them they were given no respite so on the face of it why is Allah Ta'ala mentioning that subhanallah a recently unearthed pyramid text has granted new depths to the meaning of this holy verse in it Fir'aun is described as ascending at death to claim supremacy now in the heavens the ancient hieroglyphics read as related in Samuel Alfred Brown Mercer in his work the pyramid texts first edition page 222 so quote the sky weeps for you and the earth trembles for you when you ascended to heaven as a star as the morning star in other words the quran was issuing a direct response to these specific mythological adulations over 1000 years before the vaults hiding them were unlocked nothing about this is miracle allah ta'ala says neither the heaven nor the earth shed a tear over them. over who fear and his forces Why did he say that? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because their hieroglyphics have revealed that Pharaoh when he died or he dies, he ascends to the heavens. And he then claims supremacy in the heavens. And what's the quote in the pyramid text? The sky weeps for you. And the earth trembles for you. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? فَمَا بَقَتْ عَلِيهِمُ السَّمَاءُ وَالْأَرْضِ Neither the heaven nor the earth shed a tear over them. Allah Ta'ala was responding to this. But now what's miraculous about this? This was dead to history. Nobody knew about this. Over 1,000 years before the vaults hiding them were unlocked. So again, note, the Quran is the speech of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And Allah Ta'ala, when He's mentioning things, more often than not, it's gone over our heads. But Allah Ta'ala is responding to the shaitans and their belief. He goes, rather, neither the heaven nor the earth shed a tear over them. And they were given no respite. So this is again ludicrous what you're mentioning. 
whilst in contrast, complete contrast, our beloved messenger would humbly make the following dua, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, grant me two moist eyes that cure the heart with tears before the tears turn into blood and the molar teeth turn into live coals. This is in Darukutni, Tabarani, Abu Nu'im, Al-Maruzi, Imam Ghazali in his Ihya. So what's the dua? Oh my Lord, grant me two eyes that shed tears that will cure the heart. Meaning that when you shed tears due to the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's excellent for the heart. Before the tears turn into blood, because in hell, a person will weep blood. It is in Ibn Majah, and the molar teeth turn into live coals. So look at the contrast. Neither the heaven nor the earth shed a tear over them. Either Philon and his forces. Rasulullah, the complete opposite. He goes, grant me two moist eyes that cure the heart with tears. Before the tears turn into blood and the molar teeth turn into live coals. Thus the value of Iman is truly priceless. Another very interesting aspect of Iman is the hadith of Sayyidina Su'a ibn Najiyah. He once asked, during the Jahadiyyah, I saved 360 baby girls from being buried alive. As a compensation for every girl, I gave two she-camels that were 10 months pregnant and also one camel to each of the father. Would I now attain any reward for these deeds of mine? Ya Rasulullah. The Prophet said, You have already been rewarded for these deeds of yours. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed you with the ability of embracing Islam. And you have been blessed with the divine blessings of Iman. This is in Tabarani in his Kabir, number 7412, of volume 8377, Ruh al-Ma'ani. So let's look at this. So this was a companion, Sa'a Sa'a ibn Najiyah. Now, what was he doing? This noble man, from the goodness of his heart, out of compassion for the young children, had given away around a thousand camels. So he, this is before Islam, before any concept of good and bad. He was doing this out of the kindness of his heart. And he saved 360 infant girls from being killed. So he asked about that. He was thinking, I've become Muslim. What's my, do I get a reward? Am I going to get rewarded for that? What he failed to understand was his embracing Islam was more than a reward. So what was the Prophet teaching you? Iman is enough reward. Iman is enough reward. So let's put it bluntly. If you had nothing of this world, absolutely nothing, Allah Ta'ala gave you Iman. That's more than anything that you deserve for whatever you've done. And yeah, people, do they value Iman like this? You know, like one of the scholars said, because we're born with a silver spoon. We don't realize what we've got. But this narration, there's another report. Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani rahmatullahi in his Al-Isaba, page 392 of the New English Translation, Hafiz ibn al-Atir in his Asad al-Ghaba 3-21. 
Sayyidina Sa'a Sa'a radiyallahu he further relates that he asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa I did an action before Islam. Will I now be rewarded for it, Ya Rasulullah? Sallallahu alayhi wa So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, What was that that you did before Islam? So Sa'a Sa'a radiyallahu said, My two she-camels once strayed, they got lost. Thus I went in search of them, riding upon my camel. Trying to find my two she-cums. I then came across two dwellings of an elderly man. So there was an elderly gentleman, a sheikh, an old sheikh. And he had two dwellings. I approached him and I asked, I have lost my two she-cums. He said, they are with me. I've got them. As we were talking... I heard a woman call out that she had been given birth to a child. And the elderly man asked, what have you given birth to? She replied, a girl. He thereupon said, well, I will now bury her. I thereupon intervened and I said to the elderly man, I will buy her from you with one of my pregnant she-camels. Do not kill the child. Mm. He replied, one she-camel is not enough. I want both your pregnant she-camels and also the camel you are riding upon. So stop in the report. This guy's lost it. His own daughter he's going to kill, or possibly granddaughter. Allah, he's an old man. And this man, imagine, he's trying to save his daughter, his granddaughter, and he's bargaining with him. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 two. I'll take your two, but I want the camel that you've rode on as well. I agreed. When Islam emerged, I had by then saved 360 baby girls. Indeed, I purchased each one of them for two pregnant she-camels and a male camel. Those will they now be a reward for me, Ya Rasulullah. Rasulullah said, that door of righteousness, the reward for it is when Allah favored you with Islam. So now look at the wording. This is fascinating. The Prophet didn't say your reward is Islam. The Prophet said that door of righteousness. In other words, you did a beautiful deed. It was a door, a pathway to good. That pathway to good is what Allah Ta'ala gave you Islam. Is why he gave you Islam. In other words, you've been rewarded more than enough. Even though what you did was amazing. Now what's interesting, it is very informative to relate that this same Sahaba, Sayyidina Sa'a Sa'a radiyallahu, he once heard Rasulullah recite the following verse. Whoever does an atom's weight of good shall see it. And whoever does an atom's weight of evil shall see it. Surah 99 verse 7 and 8. Upon which Rasulullah said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, It is enough for me not to listen to any other than this for guidance. This is in Nasai Ahmad Behaki al Bidayah. So let's look at this. So this is the end of a very famous surah, Surah Zalzala. 
Allah Ta'ala says, whoever does an atom's worth of good shall see it, and whoever does an atom's worth of evil shall also see it. Who responded to them two verses? Rasulullah. Rasulullah himself said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, this is enough for guidance. If there was nothing else, that's enough. Sa'a Sa'a, when he heard this, he turned to leave. And the companion said, you've traveled such a huge distance without asking anything. Sa'a Sa'a said, today I have learned that Allah the Almighty will judge according to good and bad even though as small as an atom. This is indeed enough advice for me to live my life. And he left. This is in Imam Ahmad's Musnad and Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalari Rahmatullah in his Al-Isab page 392 of the New English Translation relates similar. So he traveled all the way to see the Prophet He wanted guidance. When Rasulullah himself said, this is enough for me. That's it. <laughs> Imagine, let it go again. So, Sahabu, where are you going? Because you've come all this way. You might as well at least spend some time. Because I've heard enough. If Rasulullah said it's enough for him, because who am I to ask further? So notice the change that takes place in these people. And it's true. If you really reflect upon those two verses, what else do you need to know? Whoever does an atom's weight, it literally means the small ant. Dharra means a very, very small ant. But, you can say atom. Whoever does an atom's weight of good, you shall see it. And whoever does an atom's weight of evil, you shall see it. What's interesting, Allah Ta'ala starts off with good. That's his mercy. Because he gives you, you know, he gives you, you know, what do you call it? Hope. Then he mentions the evil at the end. And this is why there's actually a report where Abu Bakr stopped eating. Abu Bakr Siddiq. And then the Prophet actually told him that the evil is wiped out with good deeds. The evil is wiped out through calamities. So when Allah says, you will see that atom's weight of evil, that's if it's not been wiped out. Have you understood? Right? So it's not as bad as it appears because of Allah's mechanisms of mercy to take out the sins. But if it hasn't been wiped out, you're in trouble. Allah says, you're going to see it now. That's why Allah in His kindness gives you all these avenues. Now what's interesting, guidance. Note that our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala looks first into the hearts of His servants. And if He sees goodness within them, He will ultimately guide them to the glorious truth. Just like He promised the 70 unbelieving prisoners of Badr. What did He promise them? In Surah Al-Anfal, Surah 8 verse 70, Holy Bullahi Minish Shaitan Rajim. Ya ayyuhan nabiyyu qul liman fi aydikum min al-asrah Ya'lam allahu fi qulubikum khayran Yu'dikum khayran mimma ukhidha minkum Wa yaghfil lakum Wallahu ghafoorul raheem O Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Say to the captives in your hands If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows any good in your hearts he will then give you something better than what he has taken from you. And he will forgive you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is of forgiving the most merciful. So why is this a very interesting passage? After the battle of Badr, 70 of the unbelievers were caught as prisoners. They were actually divinely detained. Angels were sent. Abbas was captured by an angel. Etc. Etc. What did Allah Ta'ala say to the Prophet? 
He goes, talk to the captives. Look what he says. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows any good in your heart, there's the key. Allah ta'ala will only give hidayat if there's goodness in people's hearts. He will give you something better than what he's taken from you. Meaning, you think at the moment you've been caught, you've been disgraced. But if there's goodness in your hearts, Allah ta'ala will give you something better. Many of the prisoners became Muslims. So what does Allah the Almighty and Glorious mention? That if there's goodness in the people's hearts, Allah Ta'ala will arrange for guidance. So it's not just haphazard, you know what people say. How come he got <coughs> hidayat and he didn't? Allah Ta'ala knows best where to put guidance. But he's mentioned in the Quran, if there's goodness. And if you even look at the people that you might know who've embraced Islam, what do you always notice? There was goodness in their hearts. You know, it's, there was always goodness in these people's hearts. And it's not just, you know, leavers. It's people who aren't practicing. Those who eventually start practicing. There's goodness in their hearts. And that's why when you see a person who's got goodness, you always expect goodness from him. Allah Ta'ala will ultimately give goodness. Just like he gave it to Sa'asa. Didn't he have goodness in his heart? And yeah, Allah Ta'ala guided. But he didn't know that by embracing Islam, that was more than enough reward. So he actually asked, what's my reward, Ya Rasulullah? And what greater reward is it than Islam? Now think about this. There's people now on the earth who are billionaires. The world's richest people. They haven't got Iman. So are they really rich? You go to a Muslim, you saw the list of the most wealthiest people leaving Muslims to one side. Maybe they're on the list as well. Leaving the Muslims to one side. You shouldn't even look at the list. Why are you showing me that list for? These are the most wealthiest people, Bill Gates, you know, this, that. And then you go, what are you getting so excited for? They're not Abu Bakr, are they? Like, you know, when you, and then he goes, oh, but, you know, I just wanted to show you the list. Not interested, right? And he goes, why? Because they're the poorest people on earth. Then you get a list out of the most destitute Muslims. Imagine, you know, they're signing on, let's say. Oh, forget about signing. Let's go to, you know, the land where there's no, you know, even welfare. They just basically got roof over their heads. Or even they haven't got a roof over their heads. They just got enough to cover their owner. You get their list. They won't even know who you're talking about. Look at this list, brother. This has impressed me. Oh, and goes, who are these guys? And then you say, look, this is their worldly status. Then he's going to burst out laughing. He goes, why, why are you showing me them for? These are the most downtrodden people on earth. These same people are infinitely greater than the list you showed me. Because they've got Iman. That might make the penny drop. You could just, you know, break it down to, you know, what do you call it? <laughs> Bozo level, isn't it? Right? So people kind of work out with brain stars working. It's don't look at that. Right? That's not success. Iman is success. Then to nurture it, that's how you build your wealth. Unfortunately, what are Muslims looking at? Exactly what the Prophet told you not to. What did he say? When it comes to your deen, look at those higher than you. When it comes to your world, look at those lower than you. Why? Because when it comes to your deen, if you look at those higher than you, you always aspire to get better. Can you think of a famous Sahaba who was always doing this? Umar. He goes, Abu Bakr, he's going for Abu Bakr. Then what did he say? Each and every time. Never beat this man. He's trying to apply the hadith. When it comes to your world, look at those lower than you. Why? 
So you do shukr. Shaitan will say, you haven't got anything. You should go to a council house. You know, what the hell? What sort of a, you know, get up the ranks. Straight away, you just think of those who just, you know, maybe they're living in, you know, makeshift accommodation. You say, mashallah, alhamdulillah, I've got better than them. That is how you get contentment. So now there's two types of reaction to this hadith, which is in Imam Ahmad's Muslim. Two types. The first type, he's a weak Muslim. The second type, he's blown a fuse. The weak Muslim says, I'm not acting upon it. May Allah Ta'ala forgive me. So at least he's testified, look, that is the cure. May Allah Ta'ala give me tawfiq to act upon it. I'm not acting upon it. So no problem. Then there's the crack part. What has he done? He's reversed it. I'm not only not acting upon it, I'm doing the opposite. So what are you doing? When it comes to my world, I look at those higher than me. When it comes to my deen, I look at those lower than me. Why are you doing that? Makes me feel good. So for instance, he might be Jumma Khan, plays Jumma once a week. So he starts looking at people who aren't praying at all. Doing exactly what the Prophet told you not to do. So he feels good. When it comes to his world, he looks at those, those higher. Why? He's always miserable. I need to have another bigger house. I need to move to another location. I need to have a river in the background. Right? And this is why we're ill. We've left the deen. The Prophet's told you. Right? And also what's interesting, the world is so short. And we're so obsessed about it. <laughs> if you think about it, if you live 10,000 years, you think, Putter, you got a point. You got 10,000 years, you're going to have to do something. You know, you're not even going to live 60 to 70 years. Maybe 90% of that is gone anyway. What you, are you holding on to now? No, no, you don't understand, right? What don't I understand? Then when somebody dies, they wake up for the bit. Uncle passed away, did it? Mashallah. To reiterate, the true Muslim will always value his iman over and above everything else. Now, this is very important. We don't compromise on our deen. Our deen is always the most important thing. But where's the proof for that? Our beloved messenger famously said, The hour will not come or commence until a man passes by the grave of his brother and says, I wish I were in his place. This is in Sahih Bukhari, number 7150. Sahih Muslim, number 157. So now this is where everybody becomes muhaddith. Oh, I've heard that hadith. Oh, yeah, brother, mashallah. What does it mean? And he goes, what it means is... <laughs> he goes, here we go. Go on, yeah, go on, brother. What is it? What it means is that it's, the fit is going to get so bad. It's going to become so bad. You know, you're going to be... It's going to be everywhere that you're going to wish that you were in the grave. So then you say, so who said that then? Because this is what I think. Hafiz ibn Battal, Rahmatullah who died uh, about a thousand years ago, well, 500 years ago. He said, this would not be due to any suicidal inclination, but rather an anxiety that the prevalent evils and the strength of their enemies may cost them their religion. Recorded by Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalari in Fat al-Bari 13-75. So let's look at this. Why does that Muslim want to be in the grave? This is why I'm losing my Iman. I'm going to lose my Iman. Iman is so precious to him 
He's not wanting to go. I don't want to die without Iman. That's the meaning of the hadith. No, oh, fitness too great. Where did you get that from? Right? It's his Iman. Thus, the wise believer takes all precautions in protecting the most priceless thing he possesses. He will not hesitate to sacrifice anything for it. Whether it is his family, friends, land, wealth, no exception. I'm going to guard and strengthen and nurture my Iman. And look how amazing. Is the dreaded time not fast approaching? Where we seem to be completely surrounded by fitna and fasad. You notice, our fathers, it wasn't too bad. We're now noticing a great acceleration. And what is happening? Iman is getting more and more difficult to protect. That is true. But we haven't reached that stage, I don't think, where you're thinking, I need to be dead. But we notice, we can probably see in the horizon, thinking this is getting really bad. But what was the Prophet really telling you there? He wasn't telling you to despair. What he was telling you was, you need to protect your Iman. Even death, if death protects your Iman, death is better for you. Think about that. I'd rather die than lose my Iman. And that is what the Prophet said, is the ushering in of the hour. Meaning that the Muslims will pass by the grave of his brother and say, I wish I was in his place. Not because he's suicidal, because of his Iman. So again, note, whatever aspects you reflect upon in the glorious deed, it's all for your own benefit. But Iman is the most important thing in the believer's life. Let me just add this to finish. How great would the fitna become? (laughs) People think it's bad now. Like you say, you haven't seen nothing yet. The fitna would become so intense and overwhelming. We have the following hadith. In Tabarani, Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid, number 12,231, stated Sahih. The keeper of secret, Sayyid al-Hudayfa, he relates that our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ya'ati al-Nasi zamanan yatamannawna fi hiddajjal A time will come upon people when they will desire the emergence of the Jal, they will desire it. So Hudayfa said, I asked in shock, Ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Bi Abi wa Ummi Mimma Dhaq, my mother, father be sacrificed for you. Why will this be so? They will desire the Jal. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Mimma Yalquna min al Ana'i wal Ana. It would be due to the severity and intensity of the seditions. It will be due to the severity and intensity of the seditions. That's how bad times are going to get. Imagine, you see a Muslim and he goes, When's the Jal going to come? What the hell you on about? He's so fed up thinking, this is too much. He wants the last one to come. He goes, let him come, at least they'll get it over and done with all praise be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fitna as yet has not reached that stage. People, you know, it's the saying, oh, the jaws on the corner. No, he's not. Because what I mean is not. How do you know? Because I haven't heard anybody call him, uh, making a dua for him to come. Then they burst out laughing. He goes, which Muslims are going to make a dua for him to come? You haven't seen nothing yet. Rasulullah spoke the truth. That's why Hudayfa had to question it. He goes, yeah, Rasulullah, why? 
He got the severity and intention of the seditions. Look what's happening now. LGBT, God knows what else is going to be around the corner. <laughs> Gender neutral. <laughs> Actually, that bad you have to laugh. Right? You know, who's teaching our kids? Cross dresses. <laughs> right? Hormones. <laughs> you know, give them hormones. They don't know whether they're a boy or a girl. <laughs> give them surgery. Bypass their parents. Evolution. Right? You haven't seen nothing yet. It's going to get worse. <laughs> And if you are not nurturing your iman, Khuda Hafiz, brother, is gone. Right? But Alhamdulillah, Rasulullah told us, he told us it's going to happen. And this is definitely going to happen. You know, imagine how bad must the situation be for you to make a dua. Ya Allah, send the jaw. At least we'll get it over and do it. What are you making that dua for? How bad is that situation? Astaghfirullah. And that's why the kids make special dua for the minute. You know, we think we've got it, but... You know, the kids, you know, you got to really focus upon them, you know, subhanAllah. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? SubhanAllah, bihamdi, subhanAllahumma, bihamdi, ka ashtu, la ilahi illa, anta astafulika, tu malayka, wa tibullahi, wa shaitan, 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 wa sha